dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of fellowship with you and thank you Lord that you even give us life that we may enjoy this fellowship. Dear Lord, as we come to this meeting, we pray that you would grant to us strength from above, understanding, help us Lord to rightly divide the word of truth. Grant us graciously the gifts of your Holy Spirit. Without him, we would wrest your words out of its true meaning and go off on a tangent. We pray, Lord, that you will direct us, guide us, that we will rightly divide this word and that we will receive it as the word of God into our hearts, that it may correct, rebuke, instruct us. Grant me of your spirit, O Lord, and put your words in my mouth that I will speak words of blessing, edification, and life to your children. Feel our souls as we hunger and test for righteousness, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Conflict and Courage, May 17 A Faint-Hearted Father The iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. 1 Samuel 3, verse 14 Eli did not manage his household according to God's rules for family government. He followed his own judgment. Many are now making a similar mistake. They think they know a better way of training their children than that which God has given in his word. They foster wrong tendencies in them, urging as an excuse. They are too young to be punished. Wait till they become older and can be reasoned with. Thus, wrong habits are left to strengthen until they become second nature. The children grow up without restraint, with traits of character that are a lifelong curse to them and are liable to be reproduced in others. In contrast with the story of Abraham's faithfulness and the words of commendation spoken of him is the record of Eli, who kept his sons in office while they were committing great iniquity. Here is a lesson for all parents. Evil without restraint was tolerated by Eli. The result was sin that would not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offerings forevermore. While some err upon the side of undue severity, Eli went to the opposite extreme. Their faults were overlooked in their childhood and excused in their days of youth. The commands of the parents were disregarded and the father did not enforce obedience. The children saw that they could hold the lines of control and they improved the opportunity. As the sons advanced in years, they lost all respect for their faint-hearted father. They went on in sin without restraint. He remonstrated with them, but his words fell unheeded. Gross sins and revolting crimes were daily committed by them, until the Lord himself visited with judgment the transgressors of his law. The Lord himself decreed that for the sins of Eli's sons, 
no atonement should be made by sacrifice or offering forever. How great, how lamentable was their fall. Men upon whom rested sacred responsibilities proscribed outlawed from mercy by a just and holy God. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A Faint-Hearted Father. And here we're going to look at the fulfillment of the Lord's prophecy or his judgment on the house of Eli for what he did, which we know as we have been looking at the devotion in the past three days. So reading now from First Samuel chapter 4, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek, and the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined in battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of, the, of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from, from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp, and the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of the Lord was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army, and came to Shiloh, the same day with his clothes rent, and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there had been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, 
when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the, of the gate and his neck break and he died for he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years and his daughter-in-law Phinehas wife was with child near to be delivered and when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead she bowed herself and travailed for her pains came upon her and about that time of her death the women that stood by her said unto her fear not for thou hast borne a son but she answered not neither did she regard it and she named the child Ichabod saying the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband and she said the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken here we hear the account of the death of Hophni Phinehas Eli and his family was brought down as the Lord said he would do to him but all this can be traced to one thing which the Lord identified, parental neglect of Eli. Hophni and Phinehas died a tragic death. They were vile people, yes. They did not reverence God and the sacrifices of God, yes. They did not reverence his presence, true. They were so bad that they would disrespect God by defiling women who came to the house of God for religious purposes. But the Lord never rebuked them like he did to Eli because he knew that all was in Eli's hands to bring about the right character in his children. He excused their evil. Eli excused their evil characters when they were young and when they became older, Hophni and Phinehas' bad characters was amplified. They were terrible children. But what else could they have been? They died as victims of their father's lax discipline and injudicious parenting. Many victims of bad parenting exist today. A lie excused their vileness from infancy. He indulged them and gave in to their every wish. He did not restrain them. Thus, they were spoilt and became bad men. Today, we see this same thing repeating. In the other day, two days ago, I believe, we looked at our devotion as parents should be able to contain their children right from their infancy. We as parents, we ought to be able to understand the attitudes of children even when they cannot speak yet. They can manifest bad characters even in their infancy, even when they are not yet one year old, just a few months old, even when they can't talk. How do we know this? When you see them biting the breast to start with, there you know, you have to correct that. When you see them screaming, crying out for nothing, nothing, nobody has flogged them or beat them, but just because you took something from them that does not belong to them and then they start to make a noise that is a bad character that's not a time for you to pet that child but that child needs some correcting reproving rebuking what other bad characters do we see in children even in infants that's what i'm saying now infants some of them can throw things you give them right in front of you or even throw it at you because they are offended what you cannot accept in people that are adults do not accept in children i repeat it if you know that you give an adult something and it is wrong for them to throw it at you or be offended and throw it on the floor, do not accept it in the child, in that infant. Do not excuse it. Some of them will stare at you disrespectfully. Take note of it. Some of them have an unforgiving and vengeful spirit and you see it manifested. Take note of that. Now, sometimes you see children, they will even spit on your face. 
or they will just let the speed be drooping out of their mouth and be playing with it as bubbles in their mouth correct them it's a bad character sometimes they will even hiss at you and sometimes they'll outrightly refuse to do what they are told you tell them sit on this chair they will choose to go and sit on another chair you tell them put your leg this particular way and then they will do what they like sometimes they may put their hand somewhere and you remove it and drop their hands and they put it back and you remove it again that is them showing their stubborn self-will do not allow them to get the better of you in such situation Patient such situations patiently continue to correct them and if it's needed then there needs to be some commanding done and if that commanding does not work you should go into the mild restraint and if the mild restraint does not work you go to the severest restraint you can give even to the infants and when we say severest restraint to the infant that doesn't mean that you do things that go into uh, harshness no what is needed for the infant what can uh, what is enough to bring about correction in them you do it okay. then going some of them will even as they are getting older as children they start to curse themselves use words on adults and also on one another as fellow children that is not good some of them will give hand signs like some people they old like in some people will say like waka all those kind of things and give a hand sign even the f sign with their hands and parents see these things and then they feel like mm, they'll get they'll correct it when they get older then another one that you see in children is when they go to beg for food children begging for food covetousness when they have already eaten even if they have not eaten they should be taught to be content with what they have give them their own food and when they are done with it maybe you as a parent you are eating and they come there crying as though they must eat with you do not give in you are going to spoil them when you do that and that's how many children are spoiled they cannot control themselves when they see food why because right from infancy whenever somebody is eating they want to eat with them that is covetousness in that child they are desiring what does not belong to them correct them and some infants steal they know you drop the food somewhere they don't take it when you are there when you leave then they go and touch it what do you call that it is stealing don't say because they are infants therefore it's not stealing why is it that they did not that infant why is it that that little child of one year two years old or three did not take that food in your presence when you were right there but when you went out and came back you saw that they had touched, they had touched because they knew that you would prohibit them and they did it in your absence call it for what it is it is stealing correct it they touch things that they shouldn't touch things that doesn't belong to them and when you take it from them they cry why should they be crying it is not theirs and you shouldn't give it to them like okay take 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 no let them know uh, that they are to have regard for other people's properties what buy their own things for them and give it to them and let them know that things that don't belong to them they are not to touch this is the kind of management that some people excuse or basically these are some behaviors that we should take note of in infants and children and try to correct them we read in conflict and courage page 133 paragraph 2 eli did not manage his household according to god's rules for family government he followed his own judgment many are now making a similar mistake they think they know a better way of training their children than that which has god has given in his word they foster wrong tendencies in them urging as an excuse they are too young to be punished wait till they become older and be and can be reasoned with thus wrong habits are left to strengthen until they become second nature reading page 201 paragraph 4 child guidance it says 
parents should deal faithfully with the souls committed to their trust. They should not encourage in their children pride, extravagance, or love of show. They should not teach them or suffer them to learn little pranks which appear cunning in small children, but which they will have to unlearn and for which they must be corrected when they are older. Little pranks and errors may seem to be as amusing when the child is a baby, and they may be permitted and, and encouraged, but as the child grows older, they become disgusting and offensive." End of quote. Like I said, always ask yourself, what this child is doing in pinching my face, for example. You, you hold a child and the child has to pinch your face and spit at you. Ask yourself, this character that this child is having now, is it going to be permitted when he's older? Is it going to be encouraged when he's older to pinch your face when they are older? Is it going to be encouraged that a child should spit at you when they are older? If it is not, then help yourself and correct that child. Help the child and correct that child. And don't excuse it. We are just simply saying, correct. Nobody is saying that you should get angry and start to beat the child out of annoyance. No, simply correct. How do you do that? Just stop them. When they want to do it, stop them and talk to them. Say, don't do that. That's all. And the more they do it, you continue to correct. Continue and stop and they will get the message. And if they are not getting the message, then use some mild measure of restraint to do it and then stop them and they get the message and like we read weeping may be necessary sometimes just a little bit and then by the time they get it their, their mind will be corrected and they know that they are not supposed to do this but like we just read some parents think that they have a better way than that which god has ordained that which god has instructed but the way of god says that we are to instruct train educate restrain and when necessary punish here is the insulting part of Eli's character. He knew what he was supposed to do, but thought that he knew a better way. What worse insult can one do to God than to know his will and despise it to carry out their own will? The insult is even greater when the motive for despising God's ways is because one thinks that God is harsh or wicked. Even if they don't say it with their mouths, many parents, they advocate it in their actions. Those who advocate the disposal of severe measures of discipline today are actually insulting God either by thinking they are wiser than Him, thereby calling Him foolish, or by refusing to use the severe measures that God ordained, thereby accusing God of being unfeeling, harsh, unsympathetic, loving and merciful. But let us stop here and commune with ourselves for a little. Is it love and mercy to see a child harming himself and not taking measures to stop him? Is it loving to permit someone to do something which you know will be harmful to others and enhance it or assist them in it? Is it love? Is it loving to know quite well that a person will be useless to both themselves and the rest of the world in the acts that they are performing now and yet you take no measure to channel them in the right direction? Is that love? Surely, if you saw your child playfully holding a loaded gun to his head or to her head, you will not be smiling or laughing with that child. You will be startled and impulsively or inv even involuntarily run, fly, scream and even violently snatch that gun out of his hands before the child pulls the trigger. But many parents cannot discern the loaded gun with the trigger about to be pulled on the child's head by the child himself when that child is throwing a tantrum. They don't see that that's a loaded gun when he's hissing, screaming for their ungodly desires to be given to them, throwing things on the floor, spitting at them, speaking disrespectfully though laughing while doing it, biting their mother's breast, pulling her clothes with no regard, slamming and pinching others, 
pick picking things that don't belong to them being indifferent to other people's desires disrespecting their mother in public shouting at her dragging her clothes they don't see the loaded gun the child is holding to his head or her head when the child is doing this rather they are blinded they see something to amuse themselves the child is like a clown to them they laugh at it they're amused they're happy even when the child is disrespecting them but they don't know that the child is just pulling the trigger to his head they excuse all these behaviors as unserious things that should arouse no panic or correction or restraint but the godly parents will see these things for what they really are and correct it in their children so how do we deal with child children children's misbehaviors childish misbehaviors child guidance page 283 paragraph 2 now will tell us how to deal with the tantrums i have frequently seen children who were denied something that they wanted throw themselves upon the floor in a pet kicking and screaming while the injudicious mother alternately coaxed and scolded in the hope of restoring her child's good nature this treatment only fosters the child's passion the next time it goes over the same ground with increased willfulness confidence of gaining the day as before thus the rod is spared and the child is spoiled end of quote so what should have been done the rod should have been used that's what it means the rod was spared instead of the mother using the rod on that child that is throwing a tantrum scattering everywhere because their desires were not given to them they will pet them and say sorry 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 keep quiet keep quiet and then later they will now shout at the child and then later they will now pet the child again and then shout and pet by doing that you're not helping the child by giving in to their desires you're not helping them another way reading child guidance page 283 paragraph 4 it says great harm is done by a lack of firmness and decision so from there we get the lesson to help the misbehavior of a child you must be firm and decisive i continue reading i have known parents to say you cannot have this or that and then relent thinking they may be too strict and give the child the very thing they at first refused a lifelong injury is thus inflicted it is an important law of the mind one which should not be overlooked that when a desired object is so firmly denied as to remove all hope the mind will soon cease to long for it and will be occupied in other pursuits but as long as there is any hope of gaining the desired object an effort will be made to obtain it when it is necessary for parents to give a direct command the penalty of disobedience should be as unvarying as the laws of nature. Children who are under this firm, decisive rule know that when a thing is forbidden or denied, no teasing or artifice will secure their object. Hence, they soon learn to submit and are much happier in so doing. The children of undecided and overindulgent parents have a constant hope that coaxing, crying or sullenness may gain their object. Or that they may venture to disobey without suffering the penalty thus they are kept in a state of desire hope and uncertainty which makes them restless irritable and insubordinate god holds such parents guilty of wrecking the happiness of their children this wicked mismanagement is the key to the impenitence and irreligion of thousands it has proved the ruin of many who have professed the christian name end of quote so what are we learning from here parents when you decide this is what i'm going to do when you have denied your child something do not change your mind 
when you change your mind you give them the impression that whenever you make up your mind they, you can actually be uh, manipulated into changing your mind when you look at the child's sullenness they are looking sad and sorrowful or you look at them kicking around and getting angry and shouting and crying or you look at them uh, when they are offended with you because of the decision you made not to give them something then you give them what they want in that but because of what they are doing when you give them what they want you've taught them a lesson that it works to cry it works to throw a tantrum how many of us didn't throw tantrums when we were younger we did it i remember throwing a tantrum for something i wanted but i remember that when my parents firmly denied me what i wanted i learned a lesson that throwing a tantrum does not work that crying around does not work and you should do that for your children when you see them crying and throwing a tantrum or looking sad because you deny them something do not change your mind when you change your mind you send a lifelong lesson to them that it is difficult to alter that you are not meaning what you say do not do that don't allow them to break laws in the home and go unpunished when they do that they also learn the lesson that oh i can do what i want look at abraham and moses for example the lord said concerning abraham in genesis 18 verse 1 i know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the lord to do justice and judgment and concerning moses the bible says moses was faithful in all his house this was not just talking about moses children in his immediate family moses was faithful in leading israel israel was like his children he guided them in the right way when they wanted things that were not good for them moses didn't say i'm going to give it to them because they're angry with me i'm going to give it to them because they are shouting and because they want to stone me look at moses he passed through far greater trials than any parent is passing through or has ever passed through what was it for moses he could have easily given in to the people's demands because they wanted to kill him because they hated him he could have said, let me just, maybe I'm being too severe on these people. Let me just take it be, uh, easy a bit, like Aaron wanted him to. But no, Moses was faithful in all his house. If he was not like that, he would have lost the reins of control and he would have done a lifelong injury to Israel. We should learn to also do the same thing. We are told in Child Guidance, page 275, paragraph 1, a woe will rest upon parents who have not trained their children to be God-fearing, but have allowed them to grow to manhood and womanhood undisciplined and uncontrolled. During their own childhood, they were allowed to manifest passion and willfulness and to act from impulse, and they bring this same spirit into their own homes. They are defective in temper and passionate in government. Even in their acceptance of Christ, they have not overcome their passions that were allowed to rule in their childish hearts. End of quote. Going on, it says, When parents sanction and thus perpetrate the wrongs in their children as did Eli, God will surely bring them to this place where they will see that they have not only ruined their own influence, but also the influence of the youth whom they should have restrained. They will have bitter lessons to learn. Oh, that the allies of today who are everywhere to be found pleading excuses for the waywardness of their children would promptly accept their own god-given authority to restrain and correct them let parents and guardians who overlook and excuse sin in those under their care remember that they thus become accessory to these wrongs if instead of unlimited indulgence the chastening rod were oftener used not in passion but with love and prayer we will see happier families and a better state of society end of quote 
Remember in the book of Proverbs 28 verse 23, it says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with his tongue. And I've observed that when you look at Hannah and Samuel, for example, you see the Lord calling Hannah, Jacobet, Mary as responsible for bringing up their children in the way of the Lord. But when you look at Eli and his children, you find that it is Eli that is mentioned. The mother is not mentioned. Why? Because it came to a stage where the man of the house needs to do something. When there are parents, mothers and fathers in the home, it is incumbent on the father to be the one responsible, by and large, largely responsible. Not that the woman cannot do so, but largely responsible for restraint is the father. When the child is going into that excess, when in their youth, they are now manifesting characters that are vile. There, the father needs to rise up to his responsibility and do what he needs to do. But if you are a single parent, whether father or mother, then both the, the responsibility of the father or the mother rest on that one parent. And the Lord will give you the strength to do the work. When you pray to the Lord and by faith, trust in his word. You know, sometimes what is really a problem for us is the lack of faith. We see the Lord telling us, use the rod on your child. Restrain them. Stop them from doing what they are doing. But our feelings are saying, if I do it, we feel like ah, it won't work. Here is where we need to exercise faith. By faith, pray to the Lord and say to him, Lord, your word said I should do this to my child. I don't feel like doing it. I don't even see how it's going to work. But nevertheless, at your word, I will do what you say. Believing that you will work out the results that you want in the child. Then, in the fear of the Lord, not because you've seen how it's going to work or because you love to do it, do it in faith. And expect that the result the Lord wants to come out in that child will come. Live by faith. Don't live by sight and by your feelings. I feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing it. No. Just do what the Lord said you should do. Instruct restrain direct and punish when necessary punish the lord says if thou beatest him he will not die do not spare for his crying or her crying do what you need to do but be careful do not err on the side of severe discipline ally erred on the side of indulgence others err on the side of severe discipline of severity let us not err on the side of severity some people could flog their child till they bleed that is wrong some will blow their children punch them drag their clothes and throw them around that is wrong then others will even have heard of parents who use pressing iron on their children i don't i can't even give further examples because they're just gruesome and then there are those who would even deny their children reasonable privileges things that is their right they deny them or the restrain them unnecessarily give them restrictions for things that are not wrong we should allow the commandments of god to guide us in training our children when the children request for something that you know is not wrong to give to them give it to them do not restrict them unnecessarily it is done in principle and wisdom it's not just arbitrary rules that are given in the home let your rules and your regulations and laws in the home be founded on the word of god when a child requests for something that god's word condemns do not give it to them if they request for something that god's word approves give it to them especially if it's at the right time if it's not at the right time because there are times we this thing is not as as um, straight as i'm saying it. there are times when even when they are requesting for the things that are good the situation on ground doesn't allow you to give it to them do not give it to them it's not wrong for you to do that but when we are rough on our children severe and showing a masterly spirit upon them what are you doing to them it's going to arouse in them a spirit of stubbornness obstinacy in them and they will not even do what you want them to do so we must dish out our 
correction in love, even the rod and the rest, you should pray before doing that. When you want to correct a child, do not do it in anger. Don't do it in anger. It is wrong for you to do that. Calm down. At that time when you see that the thing is wrong and you are boiling, relax. Wait. If you wait and later on, you are calm and then you say, I will not use the rod, then you are not living by faith. Because you are allowing yourself to be moved by your anger. Only when I'm angry can I flog. Now the matter has passed for a long time. But you needed to have done something. You needed to have visited that child with punishment. But because you are no longer angry, you don't want to do it. You are not living by faith. You are following your feelings. Do what you need to do regardless of how you feel. Even if you are not angry. Because it is necessary to do it. Do it for the child's sake. Not for your own anger's sake. Don't wait till you're angry before you do it. Or don't say, oh, because my anger has passed, I will not do what I'm supposed to do. Do it in faith. And like I just listed some things that the parents are not to do. We are to avoid it. Don't correct children in anger. Other parents will use terrible, terrible words on their children, cursing them. Those harsh words are not good. We are not to do that. Be careful the words you use. There's no need going in the feet and insulting them. Those things you say, you will hear them say it to you someday or say it to others out in the world. And you have been an, a wrong example to them. Reading from Child Guidance, page 280, paragraph 2, it says, Parents, can you not see that harsh words provoke resistance? What would you do if treated as inconsiderately as you treat your little ones? It is your duty to study from cause to effect. When you scolded your children, when with angry blows you struck those who were too small to defend themselves, did you ask yourself what effect such treatment will have upon you? Have you thought how sensitive you are in regard to words of censure or blame? How quickly you feel hurt if you think that someone fails to recognize your capabilities? You are but grown-up children. Then think how your children must feel when you speak harsh, cutting words to them, severely punishing them for faults that are not half so grievous in the sight of God as is your treatment of them. End of quote. So here, the Lord is bringing to our attention the extreme on the other part. Don't go to the extreme. God wasn't telling Eli to go to the extreme with Hophni and Phinehas. He was telling him just to do the normal restraint that he was supposed to do. And then again, there's still the other one of the spirit of dominion that children give, uh, parents give to their children reading from child guidance page 286 paragraph 1 and 2 it says parents who exercise a spirit of dominion or domination and authority transmitted to them from their own parents which leads them to be exacting in their discipline and instruction will not train their children aright by their severity in dealing with the errors with their errors they stir up the worst passions of the human heart and leave their children with a sense of injustice and wrong. They meet in their children the very disposition that they themselves have imparted to them. Such parents drive their children away from God by talking to them on religious subjects. For the Christian religion is made unattractive and even repulsive by this misrepresentation of truth. Children will say, well, if that is religion, I do not want anything in it, anything of it. It is thought that enmity is often created in the heart against religion, and because of an arbitrary enforcement of authority, children are led to despise the law and the government of heaven. Parents have fixed the eternal destiny of their children by their own misrule. End of quote. To parents, one of the errors you can do is when you are being exacting and also being unjust to your children, and yet and then you are still the one who wants to teach them of the word of God, they will not listen. They get offended because you misrepresent God to them. 
as we have been going through the story of Eli, we realize something that parents will be lost just like Eli was lost for bad parenting. Eli will be lost not because he was not a man of prayer or not or because he couldn't teach the word of God, but because he lacks the character to enforce obedience to God from his children. He lacked enough love for God and his fellow man to promote the good of his children and the honor of God. He lacked love. It is not love that will see God being dishonored and being different. Neither is it love that will see a child going in the wrong direction, snowballing into destruction and does nothing to stop it. He did not love his children enough. He loved himself. In conclusion, I read from Child Guidance, page 13, paragraph 1, to remind us it is the privilege of parents to take their children with them to the gates of the city of God, saying, I have tried to instruct my children to love the Lord, to do his will and to glorify him. To such, the gate will be thrown open, and parents and children will enter in. But all cannot enter. Some are left outside with their children whose characters have not been transformed by submission to the will of God. A hand is raised. And the words are spoken. You have neglected home duties. You have failed to do the work that would have fitted the soul for a home in heaven. You cannot enter. The gates are closed to the children because they have not learned to do the will of God and to parents because they have neglected the responsibilities resting upon them. End of quote. But again, reading from Conflict and Courage, page 138, paragraph 3, the opposite of that case, it says, It is the mother's privilege to bless the world by her influence, and in doing this, she will bring joy to her own heart. She may make straight paths for the feet of her children through sunshine and shadow to the glorious heights above. But it is only when she seeks in her own life to follow the teachings of Christ that the mother can hope to form the character of her children after the divine pattern. End of quote. May the Lord bless all who are would-be parents and who are presently parents, giving us and all the wisdom to bring up our children in the way of the Lord. There is still hope, chasing thy son while there is hope. Have you made mistakes? The Lord is giving us time now. He's delaying the judgment. So let us make straight paths for the feet of our children and do what needs to be done. As the Lord gave time to Eli to correct himself, the Lord is giving us time to correct ourselves too. Do not use this time unwisely. Do the right thing. May the Lord bless you all. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for instructing us. We do not re re reject or hate your chastening and your reproof of us. We pray that you would help us now to know what to do. Correct ourselves when necessary. For the ones who are would-be parents, I pray, Lord, that you help them to have all the instruction and to prepare themselves to do what needs to be done in bringing up children for the Lord. Help the single mothers, help the single fathers, help the parents, O oh Lord, and bless them. Give them the power to execute judgment in the home. Give them the grace to be gentle and kind to their children and to bring them up in the way of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.